Welcome to The Defrag, I'm Christopher Lawson. When you think of space exploration, organisations like NASA and SpaceX are likely some of the first names to spring to mind. And on an international level, countries like the US, Russia and China are regularly part of that conversation. But rarely Australia. However, the nation has an interesting history in space. NASA established a number of tracking stations in Australia, starting in the late 50s, which assisted in the Apollo missions. And famously, Australia played a crucial role in broadcasting the 1969 moon landing. Today, though, private corporations are leading Australia's commercial space industry. One of them is Gilmore Space Technologies. In January, they successfully completed Australia's largest rocket engine test and plan to launch the country's first Australian-made rocket later this year. Today on the show, Australia's future in space and why it matters to the international space community. Here's producer James Parkinson. Based on Australia's Gold Coast in Queensland, Gilmore Space Technologies was established in 2013. The company is developing new capabilities for launching small satellites to space, and their recent rocket test firing is a big milestone for their mission. We think it's a big deal because it's a very long duration burn, and we tested a lot of the technology uh, in the engine. Adam Gilmore is the CEO of Gilmore Space. You know, it was in a flight configuration, so it's the same configuration, the same manufacturing methodology, etc that will go on our orbital vehicle. And uh, we tried a number of times last year to do long duration tests and, you know, had to abort early in the test because some of the things didn't work properly and safety is our number one importance. So this was fantastic that, you know, all the things that didn't work before and were fixed all worked very, very nicely. And so this, this test really did prove out a lot of our key technologies and led us to say, okay, we're very confident with the rocket engine design now, and we're going to move into a qualification phase. This phase will see further, longer duration tests over the coming months. The rockets Gilmore Space have developed are hybrid rockets, which use a solid fuel and a liquid oxidizer for their propulsion system. This means they're much safer and cheaper. Traditionally, they haven't been a viable option, but companies like Gilmore Space have overcome a lot of those problems. And by the second half of 2022, the company hoped to finally launch Eris, their orbital launch vehicle. So we've started to have some of the major pieces of the launch vehicle come into the factory for assembly. And, you know, when you walk up next to them and, you know, they're a lot bigger than you are, it feels really good. You can actually see the work of all the designs you've done, all the prototyping you've done over the years coming together for a final product that is is quite sizable and spectacular. In 2018, Australia's federal government formed the Australian Space Agency. Unlike groups like NASA, the ASA is focused on supporting the country's civil space industry. In terms of government approvals, what needs to happen for the launch to go ahead and to be successful? Well, we've got quite a number of different authorities that have to give us approval. Um, CASA has to give us approval. The Space Agency has to give us approval. The Environmental Department has to give us approval. The Queensland State Government has quite a few different organisations within it that have to give us approval. 
So we're in the middle of that right now. We are in discussions and, and you know, filled out forms and submitted things to a whole lot of different organizations. And so we're waiting to see how long it takes. And, you know, we're really hopeful that, you know, in the next four to five months, we can get it all locked in. What's been the impact of the ASA on the local space industry since its inception? Well, I think on one hand, it's given the industry some credibility, which is fantastic. And, um, you know, I've raised a couple of rounds of venture capital. The first um, was before the agency and the last one was after the agency. And I think especially with international investors, they um, like to see that the country has a space agency and they like to see that the government is looking at space as an industry to support. Do you think the federal government is doing enough for, for private space companies like Gilmore to, you know, achieve your objectives? Not yet, but I am hopeful that they will in the months ahead. Um, you know, programs like the MMI that have a big component of them in space manufacturing, you know, we're hopeful that, you know, we can win one of those awards and that will be really, really helpful for not only us, but our whole supply chain. But, you know, the, the jury's still out. I want to see how they go. I'm hopeful that they do well, but so far it hasn't been enough and I think the government recognises that. I think where they've struggled to think about is exactly how do they get it to grow, where do they focus their activities. The agency's been developing roadmaps, which is a fantastic thing. And I think the government is getting all of its ducks aligned because I do think they view space as not only a fantastic industry for job creation, technology development, inspiring people to go into the sciences, which, you know, Australia, like most of the Western world, has a problem. We don't have enough people going into the sciences. And so I think the government is super supportive. They've just got to be able to execute. Why is it important for Australia to invest in our own space industry and, you know, have some independence in that regard? Well, there's two functions to it. You know, one of them is obviously just job creation and industry creation. And so that's what most of the world's governments have focused on. You know, they've gone into saying, okay, this is an industry that is well known to create a lot of jobs, very high skilled jobs with a lot of spillover into the economy. But the second thing is right now, Australia basically uses space technology every day. Almost every single one of us uses space technology every day and this technology is provided by some other country in the world. And these days, that's very dangerous. And if, you, if you're relying on some kind of satellite technology to navigate somewhere or to go somewhere or to monitor something that's vitally important, and we have some kind of a trade war with them or somebody else has some kind of a conflict with them, then you're vulnerable and you're not going to be prioritised in terms of re-establishing that technology. So, you know, from a national security, you know, looking after the nation, it is vital that we have our own technology, our own access to space, our own ability to make our own satellites and sensors and our own resilience in space so we can not have to rely on other countries. Given Australia's growing commercial space industry and existing defence interests, does the country's space strategy need a shake-up? That's next, after this short break. If you're enjoying this episode of The Defrag and you want to support the work that we're doing, head on over to our website, 
thedefrag.com and become a Defrag member. You can get an ad-free version of the podcast, a sticker pack, a regular newsletter, and discounts to our merch. Plus, there's a number of other perks depending on your membership level. Becoming a member is really the best way to support the show. It empowers us to produce independent journalism and gives you the best of the podcast without all the noise. So head on over to our website, thedefrag.com, and become a member today. Australia has had some involvement in space for over 50 years, but it's only been more recently that the nation has really started to think about its future in space. Australia's had a complicated relationship with space. We were certainly there right from the get-go. From the dawn of the space age of the 1950s, Australia was right there at the forefront. Dr Tristan Moss is a historian at Griffith University in Queensland. His research focuses on Australia's space policy. I think most people in Australia would be quite well aware of Australia's efforts in supporting the moon landings. And that was a very high-profile example of this long-standing relationship with the United States in which we gave uh, land and, and, and um, assistance in tracking spacecrafts or satellites, uh, the Apollo moon lander and other things. Australia's approach to space has very much been one in which we saw space as an opportunity to achieve uh, a variety of goals, in particular national security and foreign policy. So our relationship with the United States and the United Kingdom was very much because we wanted access to our traditional sources of great power support. What this means is during the 1960s, we were involved in efforts that were very high profile, but once they sort of wound up, so once the moon landing had finished and once Woomera had uh, wound up in the 1970s, Australia's space efforts were much smaller. And so there wasn't this same drive to be involved in space and also to develop space policy. And that only really changed in the last 15 to 20 years as the space environment started to change. And access to space was relatively easier. Um, I think a lot of people know the example of SpaceX and of course Gilmore Space and companies like that. Their development is reflecting access to space being much easier and I think that has driven a change in Australia's relationship with space in the last, say, 10 years that resulted in the Australian Space Agency as well. Why did it take so long for Australia to have a dedicated department for space? It took so long because Australia didn't really see a need. Uh, The government of the day or various governments of the day saw an Australian space agency as um, a bit of a waste of money. They thought that a lot of the the activities of a a space agency were being adequately done by various government departments. So the Defence Department was managing its relationship with space, CSIRO was managing science, Department of Industry and its predecessors were managing whatever the industry needed and there wasn't much need for a central agency that had some coordination uh, roles but in the last 10 to 15 years the nature of the space environment has changed it's become more competitive there's been more opportunities for cooperation and that helps drive uh, the creation of the Australian Space Agency. You're of the opinion that Australia's space strategy is disjointed what do you mean by that? So the the Australian Space Agency has a civil space uh, strategy from 2019, and that very much focuses on industry. It focuses on industry growth. Now, that's a very important part of what Australia does in space, but it's not all of what Australia does in space. There are other elements of Australia's space activities. These include science and research, uh, national security, international cooperation, and the use of space to, to 
to build relationships with other countries, and also the broader sort of public engagement with space, which is very important as well. Those elements uh, don't or aren't reflected in this civil space strategy. Um, and I think if Australia is to decide where it wants to go in space, it needs to bring all those elements into that conversation, and the Australian Space Agency hasn't done that yet. What do you see as the outlook of Australia's space industry and where it's going and the developments you expect to see? I think Australia, like a lot of other countries, that are really in- are at a really interesting point in their space development because of that um, explosion of ease of access to space, because lots of smaller companies are involved in, in getting to space, because lots of uh, different sized nations are using space in a way that they weren't beforehand because of that ease of access. Australia is, is really at a sort of decision point in terms of what it does in space. I think Australia is going to go down the route a little bit of building its own sovereign capability, so around, say, launch and owning its own satellites and developing them in Australia. I think perhaps the the Australian Defence Force is a very good model for thinking about how Australia might go. Australian Defence Force is a boutique defence force. We have a little bit of everything and we do it quite well, but at the end of the day, it's quite small. And I think the space sector in Australia will reflect that. I think we will have very good niche capabilities. I think we will have uh, access to a number of capabilities that we own, but that it will be small. Uh, the other thing is I think we will continue to work very closely with our allies and with other countries because at the end of the day, Australia is never going to be big enough to control all its own space assets or to develop all its own space assets. So working with the United States, with the United Kingdom, with regional partners is always going to be an important part of, of what Australia does in space. Also making headlines today, Spotify's Joe Rogan problem is the story that just keeps on giving. It seems that despite Spotify making their platform guidelines public and taking steps to provide an advisory message in front of podcasts mentioning COVID, some Spotify staff are still unhappy with the moves and don't feel they go far enough. Wendy Zuckerman, host of Science Versus and Blythe Terrell, editor at Science Versus, sent Spotify CEO Daniel Ek an email to say they would no longer be making episodes of the hit podcast other than those designed to counteract misinformation being spread on other podcasts on the platform. They also plan to explore the methods tech platforms use to counteract misinformation in general. Zuckerman shared the email publicly and it got a load of attention. Zuckerman now says that Spotify want to work with them and that it feels like a step in the right direction. Australian small satellite provider Fleet Space Technologies has announced plans to open an international headquarters in Houston, Texas. The move is designed to capitalise on the interest in the small sat market. Fleet Space specialise in building constellations of satellites that are designed to connect with IoT devices. The move follows on from Fleet's $26.4 million US dollar raise in November. And finally, Tesla's full self-driving feature is back in the news. The company is recalling software from almost 54,000 vehicles that have the full self-driving beta. The existing version could allow some vehicles to roll through a four-way stop intersection without first actually coming to a stop. The US National Highway Traffic Safety Administration was concerned the feature could increase the risk of a crash. Tesla will now fix the issue via a software update.
The Defrag is a production of Lawson Media. The show today was produced and edited by James Parkinson and hosted by me, Christopher Lawson. For more coverage, check out our website, thedefrag.com. And you can stay up to date on social media. Just search for The Defrag. That's all the news we have today. I'll speak to you again tomorrow.